Welcome to the CPA Success Podcast, helping you be more successful at work and in your life. We profile topics and speakers that are influential in your world. Here are your hosts, Jen Nicholson and Blair Cook. Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Blair Cook. And I'm Jen Nicholson. Today we have with us Paul Goodyear. Paul is an FCPA, FCMA, and CFO of the Salvation Army of Canada, the largest nonprofit provider of social services in Canada. Paul manages a team of 170 people that deliver accounting services to over 500 Salvation Army branches across Canada, representing over $1.8 billion in assets. Today, Paul talks to us about the amazing transformation of his finance function into a progressive world-class organization. Let's listen in. Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm really excited to have Paul Goodyear with us today. Paul is the Chief Financial Officer for the Salvation Armies of Canada, a very large organization, much larger than I had realized, uh, over $1.8 billion in assets, the largest nonprofit social service provider in Canada. Welcome, Paul. Thank you very much. So today we're going to talk about the transformation of the finance function. And it sounds like you've uh, made huge strides in modernizing your finance function over the years. Yes, indeed. So I joined the Army in 1987. I'm just celebrating my 30th anniversary. Actually, today. Oh, wow. Today is the 30th anniversary. I thought I was going for a temporary job. And the rest is history, as they say. I've been 15 years in the current role. And over time, we have centralized accounting and financial reporting and and the other uh, miscellaneous finance functions at our national headquarters in Toronto. So you Uh, said there's 500 communities where the Salvation Army has a presence. Yes, that's right. Across Canada and Bermuda is part of our jurisdiction as well. So the Salvation Army is operating in 128 countries. Started in London, England in 1865, came to Canada in 1882, and the Canadian jurisdiction is one of the largest in the the world in terms of our operations. Wonderful. So how did you go about starting this transformation? Well, when I joined the finance department, one of my colleagues there told me that we've got an 18th century bookkeeping system with a computer tagged on the end. (laughs) And he wasn't far off the mark. I've worked in that environment before. (laughs) Uh, I I remember one of the first things they tried to get me in the habit of doing was uh, everything was done with a batch entry. And so accountants prepared journal entries and handed them to data entry clerks who entered them in the mainframe computer. And one of the rules was that you wrote the debits in green ink and the credits in red ink. And Sounds like I guess the old I'm a, audit file days. The old audit file days. I was a very slow learner, so my journal entries tended to be covered with a lot of uh, whiteout that we used in those days <laughs> yes. because I would write the, the line in the wrong color. I'd start writing in one color and keep going and forget wow. about it. And you know, you wonder what, what rules, what, why did that rule exist? <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. And one day I just said, I'm not going to do that anymore. <laughs> this <laughs> okay. is nonsense. But that describes something of where we were. They didn't have any month-end deadlines. They didn't have wow. uh, the year in the first year I went there closed eight months after the oh, year no. end date. So it's <laughs> definitely bottom quartile. <laughs> and there was very little financial reporting. And so uh, I became chief accountant in 1989, and we really set out on a transformation of the finance function. It has taken almost 20 years to to achieve what we've achieved, but we've done it in steps. And in in voluntary organizations particularly that are highly decentralized in terms of their operations, 
you don't just do it because you say we're going to do it. You you have a lot of negotiation and persuasion over a period of time. And so the first thing was to really get the national headquarters finance department in shape, get it operating with proper controls, and then begin gradually to influence issues across the organization and gain a reputation for being able to deliver. And that's really what the finance department did for about the first 10 years I was there. So with 500 separate communities with their own accounting, quote-unquote, systems, that's very challenging to manage. So how did you start centralizing? We began in the late 90s when the first requirements came into the handbook to report on controlled entities. We decided that we needed to do, we'd had a discussion with our auditors, and they thought we could probably exempt the local operating units being under the brownie clause in the handbook, the so-called, you know, you could exempt large numbers of individually immaterial units. And so the discussion with the auditors was, well, if if you consolidate down to the sort of divisional level, then we'll let you leave out these individual entities because it would be too complicated to try and bring Right, immaterial. Immaterial. So we decided we needed to go out and review the divisional headquarters accounting, look at the staffs, look at their books, see how they were doing and see, you know, could we actually consolidate this stuff they were doing? The results of that review said that about half of what was then 16 divisions weren't in very good shape. In most cases, we made recommendations about replacing the staff or some systems and bring them up to speed. So 16 divisions now, are these uh, different types of services that are offered in each division? No. So all of the Army's operations are uh, linked geographically to a division. So for example, we have uh, headquarters in Halifax that looks after, oversees all of our work in the Maritime Provinces. Uh, Another in St. John's, Newfoundland for Newfoundland and Labrador. So it's all geographically done. Okay. So when we went to look at the work in the East, we decided that our work there was so small in those couple of divisions that it would be very difficult to attract qualified accountant to come and work for them. The volumes would be too low, and the types of entities they were accounting for were very relatively unsophisticated, so there wouldn't be enough to keep a, a CA or a, or a CMA challenged in mm-hmm. those days. So we recommended a regional accounting center to be created in St. John's to perform the accounting for the Atlantic Canada. And the leadership of our organization really liked that idea. So much so that they decided to take our recommendation and expand it. And so we created regional accounting centers to um, to perform the accounting and financial reporting for all of our divisions. When that happened, we inherited about, I think in the beginning, about 22 operating units where divisions had experienced problems with very small units doing their own accounting. And so they'd taken them on with the divisional headquarters staff doing the books for them. So we ended up with these 22 operating units, and we said, well, what do we do with them? They Mm -hmm. were all small and fledgling. But over time, as we began to do the accounting for them, the idea emerged that we could do this for others. And so we created, in effect, a shared services kind of arrangement within our organization and began to market the services of the finance department to perform the accounting for individual operating units on a fee-for-service basis. We grew that business to about, in 2013, we had 75% of the operating units, all sizes, large and small. What we began to realize over time was that we could add value even for the largest units where they weren't necessarily interested in gaining any economies of scale, but executive directors were saying, look, I have all of these other key issues to be worried about. If you can take the finance away from me, and that's one less thing I need to be concerned about, I can be more effective at overseeing my programs and services. 
And so that began to be developed as a model. In 2013, we, had, we were just on the heels of two significant frauds in Ontario ministry units. And in both cases, both the external and internal auditors said, it's more than likely that these two frauds would have been uncovered sooner had the accounting been performed by the finance department. Right. And that was the last piece that the leadership really needed to say, let's stop doing this on a voluntary basis, let's centralize the remaining. At that point, there were about 130 or 140 units left to come in, and uh, we've now done that. And uh, so we have a centralized function, and we've got 500 units, and we had multiple accounting systems wow. and multiple <laughs> databases because they'd been set up to all do their own accounting. And so we embarked on a new finance system. This was in 2013. This is in 2013. That system became operational on April the 1st, 2015. And we've now moved into the modern world. So, so two years was your, your process to, yes, it was. from start to finish. We spent a lot of time in the upfront design because what we wanted to do was cut out the idea that, you know, even though the, our office in Calgary, say, does the accounting for a ministry unit in Red Deer, we wanted to make sure that we didn't have any duplication of effort so that if an entry originates in the national office in Toronto, that entry gets made to the books of Red Deer, even though the accountant in Calgary has oversight of that ministry unit's accounting. We didn't want any passing entries back and forth between systems. And uh, what kind of a process did you go through to decide what system to use? Well, we went through a lengthy RFP process. We've had some uh, experience doing RFPs. We fired our bankers after 75 years and hired a new bank through an RFP process. We fired our auditors after 20 years and went through an RFP process. And so over the years, we've done some pretty significant uh, contracts that way and developed a little bit of expertise in that. And so that's how we went out and found a system. And when we were on the uh, final stages of we already had a front runner in our systems, we discovered that that system was already in use by another Salvation Army uh, jurisdiction in the United Kingdom. Okay. And I was able to send a couple of my colleagues over there to look at the system, see it in operation, see how it functioned with the Salvation Army's business model. And uh, really, that was sort of the linchpin to to making our final decision. That's great, yes. If you can actually see it in operations and and make sure it's going to work for you. Absolutely. So we've gone from my uh, red ink and green ink batch processing system with no reporting to a uh, system now that allows uh, electronic workflow. So uh, I come in in the morning and I have an email that says to me, you have invoices to approve. Those invoices go directly from our vendors to a third-party service provider who scans them and uh, loads the uh, information, key invoice, invoice number, date, and amount into our system. When the staff and accounts payable log in, they're able to see an image of the invoice, and they're already able to see uh, it's already been assigned to an operating unit. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, and they're able then to do initial coding and it goes to a signing authority to approve the invoice electronically. So we've gone totally paperless. And do you use this for your entire finance function? So yes. not just payables. It's correct. Receivables. Yes, they're doing they're doing journal entries that way, receivables, the whole 
the whole kit and caboodle. I assume you've tightened up your financial close process too from eight months. Yes, to- <laughs> we have. It, it's currently five days after wow, the month end. Wow, that's fantastic. And we expect to go through a lean management exercise later this year where we intend to get it down to one day. One day? Yes. And how are you going to do that? By eliminating the low value added activities and really advancing, taking a different look at what you do and when you do it. So instead of doing something at the end of the month, after the month end date's already passed, maybe it happens three days before the month end, or it happens every week instead of just once a month, things like that, that will help speed that process up. That is fantastic. And are you using a cloud-based system? We are. We're using a system called Aggresso. It's marketed by uh, Unit 4 Business World. And it really has revolutionized our, our ability to not only account, uh, but report in a more flexible fashion. Uh, one of the things about our organization is that not only are we the largest uh, nonprofit direct provider of social services uh, in Canada, but we have very diverse operations. So we have uh, everything from a $20 million operating budget for a small uh, palliative care hospital in downtown Toronto, to emergency shelters, to thrift stores, to small church congregations, to what I would call the ma and pa uh, social agencies, the little local food banks in rural communities, and everything in between. Um, so we've got a real diverse, we've got a, a university college that we operate. We've got uh, recycling, warehousing. We, we've got just about every operation in one set of books that you can imagine wow, other amazing. than manufacturing. It's amazing. So a lot of things to keep, to corral and, and very diverse. Get your hands on. And so one of the things we've done is create a very standardized chart of accounts and make sure that that can work for everyone, and then use uh, use uh, either uh, attributes or a departmental organization that allows for uh, customization to the type of entity we're reporting on. That's amazing. Very progressive. Yes. Now, you've also talked about how you've made some changes in your uh, physical office space. Tell yes. us about that. So uh, when we made the decision to bring in the rest of our ministry units in 2013, Uh, we realized that we had had much greater penetration of our services across Canada other than Ontario. Ontario was sort of the lag uh, in in joining uh, our centralized services. So most of the new clients we've picked up in the last three years in terms of the ministry units that have their accounting done with us have been in Ontario. So the greatest growth was in the Toronto office and in the national headquarters building we were running out of space. So we decided to take a very different look at the way in which we had a typical, uh, what I would call uh, 1990s and early 2000s uh, layout with lots of workstations with high walls, uh, lots of offices with doors. And we've really done a very modern transformation. I began to visit other uh, organizations and see how they'd opened up the floor taken down walls, uh, let more natural light in, uh, gone to smaller workstations that don't uh, lock people off by themselves, but allow them to have more collaboration and share space. And so we've gone to that. We've just com- we're just in the process of completing a renovation. We've now got about 100 people on the floor in the Toronto office, and we've gone to a very open floor plan. Uh, lots of meeting rooms. I gave up my office. Wow. And a number of us are hoteling and finding that very effective. Now, it works because we're paperless. Paperless, so, too. That's, yeah, you hear a lot about paperless, but it's very rarely actually happens. So, about uh, five years ago, I had gone what I thought was paperless or close to paperless for a number of years. 
And about five years ago, I said, you know, if I'm really going to do this, I've got to make the final push and get rid of all those historic permanent files I've got that, you know, I, uh, I keep having to come back to. And so we did a project and had all those files scanned. And when they were scanned, I gave up my office. And I said, I'm not going to keep any paper. Uh, I'm going to carry my laptop with me to meetings and wherever I go. And everything that I need should be on that laptop. And once I made that final push, it wasn't nearly as difficult as I thought it would be. We accountants generate far too much paper. Oh, absolutely. And we get accustomed to working that way. And what I found was that once I made the push and really made an effort to change, at the end of the day, it wasn't nearly as difficult as I had anticipated. I think, too, I mean, especially some of us that have been been around for a while uh, are so grew up with the hierarchy that the... First, you get a door, then you yes. you get a bigger office, and that shows that you've uh, you've made it. <laughs> so, so it's a very different mindset. I think younger generation certainly is more used to the open workspaces. I think they are. But how uh, have you found your a number chef? of um, a number of my colleagues didn't get it. There are still some colleagues who don't get it. Yeah. But here's what I found: is when you lead by example, people begin to see. The benefit, and so they begin asking themselves, "Well, if Paul can do this, he's a, he, he's in I charge of 170 people. <laughs> I should be able to do yes. this." What's interesting is we made the change for the finance department, and now I've got other people throughout the building saying, "You know what? We need to look at this for our department." Right. And so I think there's going to be a transformation in the way we approach the work culture in in our whole building uh, over a period of time. Do your staff work from home as well? Yes. About 15 years ago, soon after I moved into the current role, I introduced flex hours. And what I said was, I really don't care about when people come to work or when they leave. I have to start caring about the outcomes they achieve. Absolutely. What is it they produce? And stop worrying about when and where and how they work. And gradually over time, I was ready to make a promotion. I had a colleague who was running our office in St. John's. I was ready to promote him so that he would take responsibility for all of the other offices and a number of functions in the Toronto office. And we talked about it, and he wasn't ready to move to Toronto. Had some uh, children still in university and school? Maybe someday, but not right now. I was so convinced that he was the right person to do that job that I said, what about if we give this a try and you stay in St. John's? And, you know, over time, we begin to discover that that created a very different approach to how we did business in our department. So we were very early adopters of conference calls. That's fantastic. And it just became a normal way of doing business in our shop. And as a result of that, people began to get the idea that, you know, well, if if he can do his job from St. John's, at least I can do my job from the suburbs. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so more and more people have begun working at home. I myself try to work at home two days a week if I can doesn't happen every single week because of events going on. Uh, but when I can, I work off-site, and I can participate in meetings just the same as if I were sitting in the office. That's fantastic. And so much of it, as you said, is leading by example. It is. But it changes the culture, and it changes. you have to get people's mindsets to change. So we were in a meeting uh, not too long ago, and somebody said to me something about, well, we have to have some guidelines for people who get the perk of being able to work at home. And I said, stop right there. If we're talking about this as a perk, we're misunderstanding the whole point. This is not about a perk. 
This is about getting work accomplished in the most effective way and recognizing that people are whole people. They can't compartmentalize their lives anymore. So it's not about what happens between eight to five. It's about what happens all day long. And if the most effective hours for somebody are between three and 11 in the evening, why should I care about that? If I'm able to uh, meet the needs of the organization, get our work done, meet our deadlines, why should I care about when somebody sits to actually work on that report or, or do the analysis they have to do? That's fantastic. Thank you so much. You are an incredibly progressive leader. Thank in you very an much. Incredibly progressive organization. So great to talk with you today. I look at it as not simply the opportunity to to be progressive. It's about the opportunity to be the most effective that we can be as an organization. And in our organization, what I say to my people is, we don't exist for ourselves. We exist so that the Salvation Army can continue to help the most vulnerable people in Canadian society. So everything that we do to be more progressive, as you put it, or more effective, as I put it, helps the Army deliver that uh, service to the people who need it most. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you for listening to the CPA Success Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. Visit www.cpacanada forward slash podcast 